because a woman does not think of herself alone. She thinks of the future. We are the future. We think of the future. Our children, our grandchildren. All health issues, environment issues, all let me say all pandemic that comes hit women harder. Welcome to the UN Capital Development Fund's podcast on women and girls on the climate change front line. I'm your host, Sarah Harris, and through this series of reports, we're going to be taking a look at how the climate crisis is impacting the lives of women and girls in the least developed countries and crucially, throwing a spotlight on the individuals, communities or approaches that are showing promising results in easing the burden for women and tackling climate change more broadly. It's a big subject and there's a lot to explore, so we're going to break it down into a series of about 25 minute long episodes. I can promise that we'll introduce you to some amazing women And the plan is to look at a wide array of climate-related issues, all through the prism of how these impact women and girls, especially those living in the least developed nations. The idea is to wrap up this series at what is arguably the world's biggest climate-focused meeting of the year, COP28, which takes place in November and December 2023. But this is a journey. And the podcast team and myself at UNCDF hope to be guided by the people we meet and speak with along the way. And you too, if you'd like. Subscribe to the series through the UNCDF website or your favourite podcast provider and make suggestions on topics you want explored or suggest people for us to meet by emailing podcast at uncdf.org. So without further ado... I think in this first episode, we need to set the scene. Why the focus on women and girls? To answer those questions, we're starting our podcast journey in the Gambia, West Africa, in a village called Sare Alpha. It's a small place, about 550 inhabitants and no electricity, save for that provided by a few solar panels. The people who live here are mostly farmers. They use handheld tools and rely on the annual rains to sustain their crops and livestock. When I visit, it's mid-June and the rains should have started, but they haven't, and the fields are parched. Chickens are scrabbling about in the dust for scraps. The community needs one thing more than anything else. They need water. I've come to Sare Alpha to see the results of a project jointly implemented by UNCDF with the International Trade Centre and the government of the Gambia. It's part of the Job Skills and Finance for Women and Youth programme, which includes a strong climate adaptation component. Some years ago, when the project began, 
community representatives, 50% of whom were women, were asked what they needed to adapt to climate change to make their village more resilient to the rising temperatures and fluctuating rains. They didn't have to think for long. The community chose to invest in a water project. Three years on, there are taps throughout the village. The next step is to pipe the water supply directly into every family compound. The water project has transformed the community, they say. And as women and girls are responsible for sourcing and carrying the family's water needs, they have felt the positive impacts the most. In those days, before the coming of the borehole, we spent a lot of time queuing at the well just to get one pan of dirty water. Back then, at this time of day, I would not have even started cooking. Everything would be late, and water was limited. There was not enough for cooking, nor washing dishes. The water was red and really dirty. This water now is clear, and it's also sweeter. Even with showering, we see the benefits, because the water is now clear, our skin is also clear. Before, my clothes were always red, all the time. As you can see from me now, I look very clean, just like the water, just like a tuba. That was Fatu graciously passing me a compliment. I'm the white person, or tubab, she's talking about. Except I don't look clean, or smart. Not at all. It's about 40 degrees Celsius in the shade. Hotter than one might expect this time of year. My shirt is soaked with sweat. I feel and look decidedly grubby. Fatu, in contrast, is resplendent in an indigo blue and white patterned dress with elaborate matching headcloth. And there's no hint of red to her clothes today. As we sit under a tree, Fatu tells me how she and her eight children are much healthier now they have access to clean drinking water. There are less trips to the hospital, less diarrhoea, and more time for tending her animals and making extra money for the household through her sideline, petty trading in traditional soap and Omo laundry detergent. Tackling the impacts of climate change by improving access to water has liberated Fatu and the rest of the village women, with positive results for the entire community. It's a different but similar story where I meet the women of Gataba Omar, another community about three hours' drive east. Their village is seven kilometres from the main road, accessible via a dirt track dotted with beautiful baobab trees and little else. The community here also wanted to improve their access to water so they could better cope with climate changes, in particular rising temperatures and falling rainfall totals with irregular and unpredictable rainy seasons. But in this village, they chose to improve the water supply, not for people, but for food production. Is there less and less water here or...? Yeah, the water sometimes is good finish. How is it different these days? 
The rains, I, I heard someone was telling me the rain comes at different times now. Yeah, but uh, you still not waiting for the rain. When it comes, it will be very easy to get water. But when it dries, it's, it's very difficult. <laughs> Our community has responded to the climate crisis by building an irrigation system. There's a tall tower that holds giant water containers. Water's pumped up there using solar panels, pulled from the earth out of extra deep boreholes. The water is then used to irrigate a large vegetable patch. It's a verdant area of green, about half the size of a football pitch, and surrounded by dusty, dry earth. Inside this oasis, it's the women of the community that are tending the vegetable plots. So what are, what are the women growing here? Tell me what kinds of things you're growing here. I can see in your basket you have a lot. Yeah, this is soy. This is onion leaves, green pepper, carrots, mint, Tomato, bitter tomato, <coughs> okra. Oh, they're, bit, they're beautiful, yeah. Yeah, it's okra. And what sells best at the market? The market, what's the best is this, this, sorry. Everyone wants that? Yeah, everyone wants that. <laughs> <laughs> These are high-value crops, and their production is improving nutrition levels in the community. Excess produce is sold on the local markets or to traders, some of whom come over the nearby border with Senegal to buy their wares. The women are saving money. Many have bank accounts for the first time. Others are setting up small businesses, livestock rearing, poultry farms or trading. All of them are investing in their children. Moving around the Gambia, there's a certain cruel irony that climate change is putting water in such short supply, and for so many. Water is everywhere. For a start, the capital, Banjul, lies on Africa's Atlantic coast. European tourists come here for winter sun, sea and sand. Across the blue horizon, first landfall would be perhaps Barbados, some four and a half thousand kilometers west. Even away from the coast, water is never far away. Less than 50 kilometers at its widest point, the Gambia is dissected by the mighty Gambia River. Moving around the country means crisscrossing the riverbanks, either by bridge or like here, by large vehicle-carrying ferries or small, privately-operated open boats. Livestock, motorbikes, children coming home from school and traders jostle for position on the assortments of crafts that move goods and people across the river. According to the government, the Gambia has contributed less than 0.01% to the earth-warming greenhouse gases that are causing climate change. Gambians have not profited from the fossil-fueled boom time. The Gambia is one of the world's 46 least developed countries in the world. It's also 
one of the most vulnerable countries to the negative consequences of climate change. More than two-thirds of Gambians live in rural communities and derive their livelihoods from agriculture. For the most part, these are smallholder farmers using handheld tools and relying on rain-fed agriculture, as we saw in Sare Alpha. Such farming is extremely vulnerable to climate change. No rain, no harvest, no food. In just one generation, rainfall patterns have changed. The rainy season is shorter, total rainfall is less. At the same time, rains are increasingly more intense and also broken, meaning there are dry spells in the middle of the rainy season that can wipe out a budding harvest. Average temperatures are higher and the number of extremely hot days per year is increasing. People are struggling to adjust, understandably. And when things get tough, it's the most vulnerable in society that suffer most. You've guessed it. It's the women and girls. something in the book? No. No, nothing in the book. That's it. I'm back in the capital, Banjul, and it's time to hop in a car across town. I have an opportunity to speak with the top woman in the Gambia when it comes to climate change. Rohe John Manjang, the Minister for Environment, Climate Change and Natural Resources. We meet in her office which she keeps cool with a mixture of air conditioning and by keeping the windows shuttered to the hot sun outside. You're the Minister for Environment, Climate Change and Natural Resources, but you're also a woman, right? And so, as a woman, are you concerned that women are particularly hard hit by the impacts of climate change? That is very evident. Almost all health issues, environment issues, all, let me say, all pandemic that comes hit women the harder because we are more vulnerable, we are more weaker, and our um, attention to the family is much greater. Women are the ones that are the childbearing um, um, species, and we attend to young people. We could be pregnant at the time, we could also be suckling, suckling at the time, and then we have an accompanying consequences already that, are, that, is, that has disadvantaged us. So when these consequences hit, and even the temperature rise hit women much harder. Exactly. We, we saw that many women were responsible for finding the water for the family. So the, the impacts of climate change really do fall on their shoulders first. Exactly. That's true. And even when it's come to um, staying with the young people, the kids, they have more demanding role at, 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 at family level at, in, within society. So their demanding role gives them the extra responsibility to take the extra mile to attend to certain consequences within the family as well and at community level. So that is why they are highly exposed to all forms of risk and challenges. In fact, it's not just the Gambia where women are most impacted by climate change. It's the same in many countries and across many areas of life. The majority of the agricultural labour force in the Gambia is women. That's 
typical of an LDC, or least developed country, where around two-thirds of the agricultural labour force is female, according to World Bank figures. This leaves women, their incomes and their livelihoods highly precarious as climate change begins to bite. And what about when things get worse? When climate change gets so bad that communities are forced to up sticks, women will be hit hardest. According to UN Environment, women are up to 80% more likely to be displaced than men in such scenarios. And in the event of a disaster, a cyclone, a flood, a tsunami, who's most likely to die? That's right, the women. In fact, women and children are 14 times more likely to die in such a disaster than a man, according to UN Development Programme. So what's to be done? Well, Minister John Manjang had a few suggestions. Based on positive experience in implementing the local climate adaptive living facility in the Gambia, a mechanism for channeling climate finance to local governments for locally-led adaptation to climate change, which was designed by UNCDF, Minister John Manjang lays out for me the importance of women's ownership and participation. People have to see themselves within what is being done. They have to take ownership and they have to make sure that at least they have, they are involved all throughout the design phase, the implementation, and even the monitoring space. And this is what local is doing. Um, it is more engaging the women who are usually left in the community because the men and the young people usually would leave the community and, and then women would stay home. So going to the local, to the, to the community to meet the local people, you are meeting women and the young people, those who cannot leave the community. So if you meet them, they are more vulnerable because they cannot leave. Whatever comes, meets them there. So if you are working at the local level, the grassroots level, you are targeting those that are highly vulnerable to all the impacts that is around that community. So having women to design, implement and support the initiative of the local um, and climate change projects, it is very, very, very timely. And it's also one of the best objectives in making sure that climate change finances reach at the lowest level. The beneficiaries have ownership and they benefit the largest chunk. The minister's comments leave me thinking. Across the Gambia, I've seen a lot of community-level climate projects where women's views and needs have been heard and acted on, and how the positive results from these projects have been felt across a whole community. Fatu's call for improved water access not only improved her family's health and well-being, but freed up her time for other work, making the entire family financially better off. While Ours irrigated vegetable garden is raising nutrition levels in the entire community and providing an income for women to start small businesses, set up their first bank accounts and save or plan for their future and the future of their children. But how do we ensure women are able to take ownership and participate every time, always? I had my answer thanks to a busy, motorbike-riding lady named Fatu S.M. Sise. A market gardener and entrepreneur, Fatu and I chatted under a bird-filled tree in the trading town of Soma. 
squeezing our chat between Fatu's busy appointment schedule, the subject quickly turned to leadership. What happens, do you think, when women are brought in as leaders? How can they make a difference when it comes to something like climate change here in the Gambia? So I think once women are leaders, or women assume leadership positions, um, that's going to be a huge difference yes, when it comes to climate change. Well, you're an independent lady yourself. I saw you arrive on your motorbike. Yes, I am an independent lady because I run my business. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't wait for anybody to do anything for me. I do things on my own. Um, I run my business myself. I have staffs. So I am independent. I don't wait for anybody to give me money to buy something. So I take decisions on my own. Yeah. So it must be a good feeling, right? Of course, yes. It's a good feeling. So I want my fellow women to also feel the same, to have the same opportunity. So that can only be achieved if we are into leadership positions, so that we could help our, our fellow women. I think I'm talking to the next leader of the Gambia. Of course, yes. You're talking to the next president. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. You're late for your meeting. <laughs> and with that, Fatu's phone is ringing, calling her to her next appointment. A quick farewell and she's off. Extra large sunglasses on, orange dress flowing in the wind as she speeds off down the road. She leaves an impression of a woman that is in charge of her own destiny. Fatu is going places, and I've no doubt she'll be in charge. Next time on the UN Capital Development Fund's podcast, Women and Girls on the Climate Change Frontline, we'll be taking a closer look at leadership. Are women taking a leading role in addressing climate change? And if not, why not? If you want to join the discussion or suggest people for us to speak with, email podcast at uncdf.org. I'm Sarah Harris. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.